Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. I don't know if I should really call them cold opens anymore now that we're like not just in a heat wave, but like climate change is just going to make it hot for the rest of our lives. Like, so, but I don't want to call it a hot open because that sounds a little risk. It's a little risque. So like, what should we call it? Like a lukewarm, lukewarm open or an embarrassing open? I don't know. Keep, keep going. This is good stuff. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I'm just like, I... My thought process is that when a podcast starts, people don't want you to just get right into the action, you know? They want you to take 15 minutes to talk about something other than the subject matter of the title. And so I just, you know, that's what we do here at Cinematic Doctrine. That's what we do here when we're when we're podcasting. So you thought we were going to talk about Queen's Gambit, you Patreon supporters. Well, eat the slop. We're talking 15 minutes about nonsense. Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine. <laughs> just, just seeing how long you can go without me. Um, it's pretty bad. I could just start talking about the show. But <laughs> you could do that. But why would we do that? It's a, but I don't, whatever. We just sat here for like an hour talking about something else. Where in the rule book does it say we can't just get into that? subject of the podcast uh so many people will say that they just skip through the openings to get to the what the episode's about yeah they just go to the show notes and check the where does it say introducing the episode introducing queen's gambit oh 15 minutes in the episode i'll just skip there it's hard to gauge because i think (laughs) for some people like the whole parasocial relationship the the personalities that's what they're buying into you know, it's been a thing since radio, well, since celebrities have been a thing. But you know, they like they like the banter, they like feeling like they're a part of the group. They love you're the third person at the table looking at us as we talk to yeah, each other. Yeah, you're getting to sit at the cool kids' lunch table. Um, you're hanging out with you know whoever Joe Rogan is interviewing that week. Or <laughs> he's like my go-to. Like I need a podcasting name person, so I always like grab Joe Rogan. Why not? Partially because like. He's such a he's such a controversial figure that for some people they'd be like, haha, yeah, that'd be great. Other people are like, haha, that'd be ridiculous. You know, so it like mm-hmm. works both ways. But yeah, you get to feel like you're hanging out with your favorite buddies. So they like this organic, natural conversation that we're having. Is it organic or is it forced? Because if we're always starting an episode with just a random discussion, 
at that point, it's forced. What's weird is we have like 30 minutes of organic conversation. Then you we have to stop because you hit record. And then we <laughs> go back into completely inorganic conversation. We've depleted our topics. I mean, I could have talked about how like, what is it that one girl who... Well, first off, did you know that it's... um. Uh, what is it? It's a uh, in Ohio, the police are a protected group. And there's this just recently, there was a story where a girl who had a an, an unfortunate run in with the police and to ventilate steam after that, she found like a defend the blue poster that was just like already like on the ground, not cared about and just stomped on it a little because she's just like, I'm so mad. And then now she's being like, is potentially facing prison time because it's considered a hate crime. But I don't know. I feel like if you're the police, you don't need protection. You got protection. So why are you considered a protected group? We could talk about that, Daniel. But I don't know if our listeners would want us to talk about something like that. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so strangely yeah. non-political. Like this is something that like is so befuddling to me about <laughs> our dynamic. <laughs> well, like I run our I run our Twitter account, and so like obviously it was like okay, like we got like. Set, set a set a brand we gotta let people know what we're about so i followed a bunch of like christian accounts like and like theologians i'm a fan of like so if you go to our twitter account and look at who we're following that's all me like that's a reflection of things i so i'm following like john MacArthur. i'm following uh you know john piper james white like all these like dustin uh, benjay like all these like big uh pe- most of the people you saw in the American gospel documentary, basically. Yeah. Like those are my guys. Chandler, you know, yeah. I, I'm a family. People like Tim Keller as well and stuff. And like, weirdly my feed is, or I should say our feed. Cause it's our Twitter account. technically is just like stuff about mask mandates and communism. It's just like, it's just like, it's not even like I have an opinion on those matters. Yeah. It's just like, I wanted more Bible verses, you know, <laughs> I just thought I was, I thought yeah. right, my cat would be blessed. You know, I just have a, a I'd have a feed though. So like people talking about Jesus and giving good tips and quotes and some, some like Dustin Benj, I don't know if I'm saying his last name, right. But B E N G E, his Twitter account is the most like wholesome, blessed thing in the world. Like it's just great. Like tidbits. It, it, it convicts me. It makes you feel, think about stuff, but like everything else is just like talking about how they don't like, joe biden or, or whatever and it's just like i don't know like, very tiresome it's like you don't it's okay to even it's okay to believe that like i didn't vote for joe biden i've i voted third party every every single um, <laughs> that's right every, every single election we've ever had i remember you comp- it was like last year or maybe the year before that you were complaining about that you're like because i'm that idiot who votes third party <laughs> so my vote doesn't even matter <laughs> But even saying that, there's people like they're 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 firing up their keyboard, ready to be like, "Here's why you shouldn't do that." You know, you're wasting your potential. Well, it's like <laughs> it's funny because in 2016, third party voters were blamed for Trump, and then in 2020, third party voters were blamed for like Joe Biden. Just like you can't win, <laughs> no one's happy with me. Nobody just blames the other party. It's always their third party is the perfect scapegoat. No one blames a candidate for losing. <laughs> it's right. like you yeah. should have been a better candidate. Maybe you won. You know, I don't know. <laughs> It's not on me that, like, I didn't pay for your campaign ads. That was all you, you know? Come on, Dan. It's, everything cultural is your fault, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> but was it? Oh, yeah. So it's just like, for some reason, this is what everyone seems to fixate on. It's just like, I don't have. I, I, I'm first off for a movie account, which you shouldn't want my <laughs> our opinion on yeah. cancel culture or even like just general stuff like the Olympics or how we feel about lockdowns in Europe where we don't exist. I don't know. If we are your sole moral barometer, 
and you i don't know you should it might be healthy to unfollow us <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, please don't unfollow we need those followers but <laughs> that's right yeah uh but like we could be a part of that social moral barometer i don't mind like because it's healthy to have i believe a benefit of media increasing in media literacy which isn't just you know entertainment media it's all media anything that's been created is media is that you can sort of discern it as you're consuming it. So when you listen to me doing a horrible, horrible, embarrassing cold open, and then talking about how <laughs> some teenage 19-year-old girl is getting prison time because she just stomped on a sign <laughs> because apparently the police are a protected group, then I don't know. You don't have to take that seriously. <laughs> you could just be like, there's Melvin going off again. <laughs> there it is. Let me just yeah. press the skip the 15 <laughs> second button on my Spotify app so I can get to the actual episode. Right. Then, you know, that's totally fine, man. Like, it's called differing opinions. My, my main point was <laughs> my main point was just that, like, I have a lot of opinions about Jesus stuff. I have very few opinions about I. it's this weird thing where, like, just because dr james white who apparently his doctorate is not legitimate or something i don't know i feel like i heard that too like that yeah. he wasn't it that he never actually went to the school or something they don't have any records it's he went to an, i think if he went to an unaccredited seminary which apparently according or you know according to him like the workload was actually like more than most accredited seminaries which is a thing I, some people mocked him for that but like that's totally a thing. My school I went to back when it was unaccredited was harder than when it was accredited. But regardless, it's just like he may know a lot about like ancient languages and about the inerrancy of scripture, but that doesn't mean he's an expert on literally anything else. Right. You know, like I don't go to a pastor for calculus. Yeah. And I also don't go to a calculus teacher for religious insight unless, of course, they know the Lord. <laughs> the mixture of like biblical knowledge and a platform, I think, makes people feel like they can talk about anything and then so now it's just like i don't know i don't know why like my i just don't know i just don't know why my twitter feed is filled with like such bizarre nonsense which is why i started following lots of like other accounts partially because it's just like this is like in like i cannot stand this like i cannot stand the amount of like i cannot stand the babylon b doing the same like three jokes over and over again and they're all dated what it wasn't it um like only a couple months ago they made a last jedi joke and it's like, who's talking about Last Jedi anymore? So there was a tweet that was just like, it's so, which I have no opinions on this tweet, which was, it's funny that Relevant Magazine tried to be like the the Christ, cool Christian thing. And then the Babylon Bee became the cool Christian thing, like in months or something. And I've never, I've always found Babylon Bee, you're the one who has no opinion. I always have an opinion, but like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think Babylon Bee is funny. And that's like the end of it. Like, I just like, ah, that's not funny. <laughs> I find them mostly unfunny. But then also, I just think I get tired of Christians finding new ways to feel like they're better than everyone else. It's very smug. Yeah, it's very smug. It's the Monty Python. We're not just it's uh, we're not just proud. We're smug about it or something. It's like it's so there's too it's too much. And I, I it's often why I don't prefer to sit around with Christian men is because they're often talking in that way. It's very much like we know we're better, even though like. In the same sentence, they'll be like, but it's only because of what Christ did for me. And you're like, sure, buddy, let me catch you there. And yeah. uh, it, Babylon B, I think, continues to propagate that. So while you're just like, it's just not funny, man. I'm like, well, it's a little more systematic than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the, ori the original Babylon B back when Adam 4D or whatever his name is, was running it. Is he like the better version than Adam 3D? But um. Psh, 
we can't sit here and say Babylon Bee's not funny and then you <laughs> tell jokes like that. It really blows up her spot. <laughs> yeah, but I don't have a comment section going, wow, that's deep. <laughs> it's so specific. Well, it's like the original Babylon Bee was because it was kind of like, you know, you have the hard times and all these other like onion lights, but they just are. The hard times is genuinely great, though. Hard times is funny. But, like, <laughs> it's really funny. It's like these different satire magazines, but then there's ones that aimed at specific subcultures. And so Babylon B was initially aimed at Christian subculture. And so the jokes were like very came came from a very genuine place and they're poking fun at Christian culture. And so you get some real gems in there, like making fun of stuff like the over uh, proliferation of um, pyramid schemes and Christian culture, repetitive worship songs, you know, like jokes that probably aren't funny to anyone else, but they're very funny to Christians. And that right. the, the one that I, I often cite the one that's a man who just wants God to speak with him uh, is sitting two feet from Bible or something. Yeah, <laughs> It's like, like, that's a really good one. I like that. Which one. to most, but yeah, most people are like, what? And then to Christians like, oh, it's like, that's it going on. <laughs> yeah. Like my favorite will always be man accidentally, while stretching, accidentally does yoga pose, is immediately possessed by 10,000 demons. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and I was like, that's really funny. And then for some, like, he he left to do discern. And then from there, like, Babylon Beats, like, started taking, like, a harder and harder lean just into being a political comedy site. And then it's just, but it's just conservative politics, which, first off, not necessarily an inherently Christian thing. Like, right. Just I'm just throwing that out there, but also it's just like very few jokes aimed at like conservative culture. Lots of jokes aimed at identify as attack helicopter type stuff. So tiresome. And so, which is yeah, which the is the only like, funny helicopter is Thanos copter. <laughs> well, That's the yeah, only funny. <laughs> so like I saw that tweet, and then obviously the, the all the responses are like Babylon B is homophobic, Babylon B is horrible, and it's from people with like who are just like the opposite of the spectrum. They're like. You know, they're like basically universalists who just don't like that Babylon Bee's conservative. And I was, but then, like, out of curiosity, I clicked over the Babylon Bee's Twitter feed, and it was like the second article was one referencing the Water Buffalo song from Veggie Tales, which is like 20 something years old. And I was like, what? Like, did I get into a time machine and go back to like my VBS when I was eight years old to find this joke? Like, scraping the bottom of the barrel. Oh my gosh. And so I was like, maybe it's an old article. And to be fair, it was written in 2019. It was like, Larry promises everyone who votes from like a water buffalo as a campaign promise or something. It's just like, wow, this is a moldy joke. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying I'm like a better comedian or something. It's just, wow. You know, it was, I don't know. And it was just like that level of smugness coming from being like, we're so much better than relevant magazine, which to be fair, like two of the editors for like the main editors, of relevant magazine are like, I don't know this. They're like, someone said they were like sex positive or something. Or something like that. I don't. I don't want to speak out of turn, but it's just like very like liberal Christians. So it's just like the two worst people I know arguing about oh who's cooler was kind of the tone of the conversation. Just like wow, they're both pretty terrible. So I don't. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's and the, yeah, the comment section was just the worst. like everyone was like. I don't know. It was like people being like, I don't like Babylon B. And then someone's just like, Bravo, Babylon B. Well, it's just, yeah. But then, like, people would be like, I don't like Babylon B. Then people would be like, Well, you're just a precious snowflake who just needs to grow up. And I was just like, Is that the Christian response to this situation? Like, that's a weird thing. It's the, un- the unfortunate thing that people don't accept about life is that things can end. You don't have to keep them going. And so, like, Babylon B had a good run. 
you can cancel it after that. <laughs> don't let it keep going. Just why don't they? It's like people don't watch television and have never seen a show just bury itself into the ground before. That can happen with a brand too, right? I think there's 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 potential. I just it's yeah, it's like it's all you talk about. It's the whole tone of it, and then like all the people in the comments. Oh, you only don't like it because you're just a triggered liberal or something. It's just like why this level of aggression? Like why? why this why so rude like it's just weird this thing of like christians who are comfortable being aggressive and mean and angry because they feel justified in being rude to people that they think are wrong and i think babylon b really perpetuates that and see dan you do have an opinion well like i have an opinion on like yeah but that this is a christian culture opinion this isn't a political opinion (laughs) where this like i think there's this like this total like mis thing of like biblical masculinity or biblical like righteousness comes in the form of like aggression, which it sometimes does. Like, you know, the Israelites running into battle, they had to be a bit aggressive to fight wars, but like versus like someone on Twitter disagrees with me, I'm going to yell at them. And I'm <laughs> like, and I'm justified yelling at them versus what, you know, Scott Sauls talks about a gentle answer or the book gentle and lowly. Like there's all this stuff about like part of being a Christian, part of what makes me a Christian so radical is that, you love your enemy. And I'm not saying it makes you a wimp fight for righteousness, but like what arenas does that fight take place in? Does it take place in you yelling at a random person with 50 followers replying to a tweet? Or does that exist when you vote? Or does it exist when you like, you know, go to Washington and let and like try and get like good laws passed? Like Daniel, it exists when you storm the Capitol. That's when it exists. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, let's introduce our episode. (laughs) Oh man. So, Thank you so much, Patreon supporters, for choosing the Queen's Gambit this episode. It's part of your Patreon thing. You get to hear more of my genuine opinions on things. Yeah, there you go. This is a. It was a. It was a. This was my first time watching the Queen's Gambit. Actually, oh, I did not watch it when it was popular. Not because I'm hipster, but just because like it was one of those things where I was like, oh, I heard that was good, and then just puts on something else. <laughs> so, um, but we are covering it uh right when it's gotten like a bajillion emmy nominations so that's pretty sick exciting yeah so ba- basically queen's gambit is anya taylor joy an honor to an anya taylor joy vehicle as are all the movies that she seems to be in um she's definitely an actor who wants to go the classic hollywood route uh with the last few movies uh she's definitely done with playing horror stuff but i hope actually um, that's not necessarily true she's in last night in soho and that looks like a horror movie kind of so but anyways the premise of this series is that she plays an orphan uh girl who was orphaned at the age of nine the opening sequence is basically there's a car accident you don't witness it you just see the result of it where her mother dies but then she is basically unscathed ends up going to this uh catholic or Christian orphanage that don't really specify the particular creed or denomination. And as she's growing up there, she's basically being simultaneously, at the time, what was considered appropriate drugging to basically help calm the children down from basically their anxieties. And then also finding that uh, because she's so smart, um, her partic- we learned that her mom was definitely like a professor or some sort of educated woman in a in a particularly good field that Anya Taylor's character Beth Harmon uh has spent a lot of time investing in just basically self-education um and probably her mom teaching her a lot of things too as the show develops she learns we specifically learn that the her mother taught her a lot of social things uh, as opposed to specific uh educational things and academic things 
Um, but because of this, she has a lot of free time and she gets to know the janitor. Let me grab the janitor's name real quick. Mr. Scheibel, who teaches her chess. She becomes curious at the game of chess. She's brilliant at it. She grows really well into it. And the whole point of the story isn't that she's amazing at chess. It's that she's using chess because she's can control chess. She can control the field. She even says that plainly, I think, in the second episode where it's like, there's rules that I can understand in chess because she's an orphan who's trying to deal with all her problems. Oh, and by the way, she gets totally hooked on tranquilizers and the end of the first episode is fantastic. Um, An amazing stage setter for her character as someone who's always trying to cope and find things to control because she's trying to make sense of the fact that the last phrase she heard her mother say was close your eyes in the car uh, right before the accident. And so the next six episodes after that are basically the development of her increasing in her chess abilities, but also increasing in her negative coping mechanism, which what a surprise over the last since returning from the podcast, we're talking about characters dealing with trauma and anxiety. Um, So here we are doing it again. I yeah, as this show continues, it does a really great uh, portrayal of her development as a figure who's both great at something, but also not very good at living and dealing with the results of the fact that as she's experiencing new things, such as interacting with people that make her feel uncomfortable, specifically men, dealing with um, the results of particular choices uh, that are very negative, specifically men. This is a very feminist show, really, is what we're kind of getting into. So unfortunately for Daniel, even though he doesn't like talking politics, this is, uh, or social, pol- sociopolitical stuff, I guess you could say. Or women. Or women. Daniel, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, which Let's just get this out of the way. To, I, Anya Taylor-Joy is a woman. Yeah, <laughs> there's no right. way around this. A lot of the characters in this story. Actually, no, actually, there's mostly men in the story, except for her and her and her foster mom. I just wanted to get this out of the way, though. I we we pick I we don't try to pick feminist stories, not because we don't want to talk about feminist topics on a Christian podcast, but because I often don't think it's appropriate um, for a bunch of dudes, <laughs> twenty-year-old guys, to just talk about female stories. I think we have the added benefit of being married, so we're living with someone who is a woman, and that helps us understand the female experience a lot better. But oftentimes, I wish we could just not be the ones doing this episode and have our wives come on and talk about this because they're going to have better, significantly better insight on this show because this show does have a lot of stuff that's unique to the women experience. So that's a really important disclaimer to put in here. But before we get into the episodes proper, as we discuss this show, um, we're going to have our call to action because he always has to show up to totally interrupt our episode. Hey there, it's your friendly neighborhood call to action. Just checking in on you. Hope you're doing all right. I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout out with a thumbs up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Hey, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S., and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. 
Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted, I thought this was like a hobby thing. You want me to... expand cinematic doctrine. You know this Right, right, right. Yeah, I I forgot. I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as low as $3 a month, you can gain access to exclusive content like The Pre-Show, which features free-form and Christian-friendly discussions on all kinds of topics, as well as influence the podcast. That's right, each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Previous movies our lovely Patreon supporters have chosen are To All the Boys I've Loved Before, Hamilton, Onward, and American Gospel Christ Alone. Huh, you guys have good taste. Anyways, I gotta run, so I'll see you guys later. Of course, now that he's done interrupting us and we can actually get to what actually matters, I I thought Queen's Gambit was great. Uh, 2020 did not have a lot to offer in terms of film. What a surprise. We're basically getting all the 2020 movies that would have came out last year. This year, finally get to see Morbius. <laughs> it's right. Super excited! Yes, fine. No, that's next year, dude. That comes out twenty twenty two. Are you serious? Yeah, did you? Uh, we were talking about that. I think you said it was like January. COVID. And if it's a January movie, they're not confident about it. <laughs> but I don't think anyone's confident about confident about um, Morbius. But um, that said, I thought Queen's Gambit was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. I actually thought it was benefited by the fact that my wife and I basically watch one episode every three days because we got to sit on it each episode. And each episode has its own theme and like purpose. I mean, pretty much the opening sentence of the show of each episode was what you were going to run through. I mean, I think it was episode four was just like um, talking about love and everyone kind of needs it. And then the the subsequent episode is the fact that Beth Harmon is just not understanding how love works at all. Has this great drama with, um, man, I got to find this character because he was great. Char- his actor, actor's name is actually Harry Melling and the character's name is Harry Beltic. Uh, but he's, uh, he's, the, the, he's Dudley in the, in Harry Potter. Oh, really? So oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But yeah, he was great. And I loved his character. And that was such a good dramatic episode of Beth Harmon, just not knowing how people work and how even herself works. Um, and the, the development of the, of other people being introduced into, she's not just a chess player. She's also negatively coping with all sorts of things. I thought it was just an amazing portrayal of early childhood development and the importance of how things that you experience as a child heavily impact the things you do in your future. You're not locked into those things. You're not locked into the negative coping mechanisms you learn as a kid, such as, wow, taking tranquilizers helps me go to sleep because when I try to close my eyes, all I think is about is my dead mom and how my father uh, left me. Yeah, I just thought it was great. I thought it was graceful. I thought it was kind. I think the show, I think some of the um, sexuality in the show might bother people because it is pretty, it's not really graphic. There's no nudity in the entire series, but it is pretty honest and genuine. It's very blunt. Yeah, blunt is a good word. It's very much like, this is what it is. And like, I think most people watching will recognize that it's like, the sexuality is not sex positive in the sense that it's almost all of the sexuality that's portrayed in the story is like this is grungy and sucks 
and like nobody's happy. <laughs> nobody's happy. Um, it's it's basically portrayed in the same way that the alcohol and the drugs are portrayed, which is just like this. This all sucks. Well, it's another it's another means by which she copes with exactly all the things around her. Yeah. It's and and I think it's done respectfully and gracefully, but it is also blunt, and so that can be a bit challenging for people. Um, especially I think in like the fourth episode when she basically has her first sexual encounter, like full fulfilled sexual encounter. Um, cause I, a previous episode has a, a, a really tense scene where basically she's led into a hotel room and it's just creepy because anyone who goes to conventions knows that you never go into someone's hotel room, <laughs> especially if they're wearing a furry costume. So it's just, uh, it, I, I thought the show handled a lot of that stuff really well. I thought the show handled its feminism really well. I I actually really enjoyed the portrayal of a lot of stuff because it it's touching on a lot of social things that if you understand social history, especially even Christian social history, the way that uh, her foster mother, the actor's name is Marielle Heller. Alma Wheatley is the character's name. The way that she's handled is great. Um, you're basically getting two sides of the coin. You're getting a bit of Betty Friedan's The Feminine Mystique in how she's portrayed as a character who is stuck at home and doesn't do anything except clean and probably is just finding chores. And if she's not doing chores, she's sitting at a chair watching television and just drinking all the time. And then also whenever her husband's around though, she has to be perfect. Like, just such a good scene. She's vacuuming and she's just in her nightgown smoking. And then there's a knock at the door and it's her husband and she screams because simultaneously in Christian communities, there's a book, I believe it was called, man, it's something, the, 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 what is it called? The something woman, the, I can't remember, but basically don't worry. Editing Melvin is here to help. The book I'm trying to remember is called The Total Woman by Maribel Morgan. At a broad glance, the premise of her nonfiction book is about how the solution to a marriage where a man is chauvinistic isn't to hold him accountable, but actually for the wife to adapt to her husband's sinful attitude and characteristics. To quote the book, it's only when a woman surrenders her life to her husband, reveres and worships him, and is willing to serve him, that she becomes really beautiful to him. End quote. It sources these reasons from Christian fundamentalism. This is a real book on real earth. If you don't understand why it's problematic, perhaps read this book in a book club with women, or pursue growth in understanding how marriage mirrors the love between Christ and his church. Soon, the premise of The Total Woman breaks down under the pressure of not only reality, but God's word. Anyways, back to your episode. And this was sold in like Christian bookstores. And the, like one of the most problematic issues is make sure to be presentable when your husband comes home be sexually presentable when your husband comes home seven days a week so that you keep him interested. And so like her freaking out is basically that idea of like, I need to go put on something nice. And she does. But then, you know, like, because of how that scene's set up, she's not happy about it. She's trapped. She's stuck. And then, whoa, what a surprise. The husband leaves anyway. And so they're really touching on in this series, a lot of cultural stuff that is very accurate in its portrayal of what's going on. So I I found all of that really intellectually stimulating, very mind like you're you're picking up on a lot of things throughout the script and its setup and uh so I just thought it just kept it just kept treating you to that as the story keeps going on and on and on. So but I I mean I could just go on and on and on anyway. So why don't why don't I let you say something? <laughs> so Dan, what what did you think about the Queen's Gambit? A uh, big fan of Anya Taylor-Joy. Who is it? Who my wife refers to as that beautiful, strange alien creature. Um, <laughs> she looks otherworldly. And 
the word for her is transfixing. Um, she has this like interesting charisma where anytime she's yeah. on screen, you're just drawn to her. Um, and so she really, I want saying she carries the show implies the rest of the show isn't doing its job because it is. Everyone's doing great. <laughs> Everyone's doing great, but there's this overall aesthetic package to the show that I really enjoy, which is it's beautiful looking. Um, the cinematography, the lighting, the give give me more scenes of people walking in pretty places to jazzy music. Yeah, it's just like yeah, as a visual experience, it's really just pleasant to look at as a whole. Uh, and the music is fantastic, just great. The soundtrack is just wonderful. So all of that just really elevates everything that's going on because the show has a weirdly difficult pitch, which is oh, it's that miniseries about chess which i think a lot of people would immediately be like well that's not for me and then you know they would just find something else i'm someone who likes chess so i was kind of immediately like into it but i had to kind of pitch it to my wife be like hey like there's a show it's getting a lot of great reviews it's really good we should check it out and this was the 2020 pandemic time so we were just kind of stuck at home so she was like okay sure whatever mm-hmm. um, but she was kind of immediately drawn in and also was really into it and so what the show does really well is they do a great job of dramatizing the act of playing chess in a way that's both very accurate Fantastic. to how chess is. I mean, the fact that they could continue to create new ways to show you a chess game was just awesome because you can you could see that that would be something really difficult during pre-production to say, all right, but how do we make each chess game unique? And then they yeah. did it. The absolute <laughs> madman. It's crazy. It because yeah, really, what it ends up doing is it has a lot in common with like what you consider like a traditional sports film, where yes. it's kind of like Rocky or something. Where or a more accurate example would be something like an old school, like kind of Mighty Ducks kind of thing, just like a prestige version of that, where you see the team <laughs> get together and they get better as time goes on. Give me the prestige version of Mighty Ducks. <laughs> I want to see that movie. I, I, I'm trying to think. There's got to be some other like hockey. What's it? Miracle? Am I just throwing out names that don't make any sense? I don't okay. know. I don't know. <laughs> That's a hockey movie. So someone, someone in the comments will back me up on that. And just to show, throw a shout out to Nick Vassell, who follows us on Twitter, who's like a big like expert level ch- chess player. He confirmed on Twitter that the chess this, this show is very accurate. So I'm sure that appeals to some people out there. Um, but yeah, that is the backbone for the show really works where you're strangely drawn into the drama of these matches, where even if you don't fully comprehend what's going on, because they don't show there, there's not a ton of shots that just show like the actual play in terms of like, you get to see the board and there isn't like a narrator going like, all right, they're going to move to this piece to here. And if they do that, then this happens. There's a lot of very quick, fast paced chess playing, which is very accurate to how competitive chess is actually played, but they do a good job drawing you into the drama of that, where you feel the weight and the importance of each match that she's in, mm-hmm. even if you don't fully understand chess, um, which is really just an impressive feat to pull off. I feel like, and like you said, they do a great job of finding other ways to, to illustrate chess where you see the movement on the on the ceiling when she's like tripping out and then the culmination of that is at the end of the movie she's able to go into that zone again without taking any sort of substance which is just an awesome moment um but the other thing i would really like to highlight is her relationship to all the other characters in the show like this is a tricky thing to pull off which is getting a character to interact with a bunch of different characters and drawing new things out of her without ever yes. kind of making her do something that is against her, what is established for the character. Yeah. It's a classic writing thing that you have character A and character B, but when character A and B interact, they're character C. And so you being able to do that with this massive cast of characters is impressive. Yeah. Like I always felt like I was watching the same character with her and like getting to see her form this kind of like interesting mother daughter dynamic with her adopted mother. 
um, which they forge over time in a sort of an unconventional kind of way where it, it, she's just kind of her buddy that goes traveling with her. It's but like then, Gilmore Girls. They're just friends. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they probably should have a bit more of a dynamic that's more guardian. <laughs> it's awesome. W- weirdly, like Anya Taylor-Joy is like not her guardian, but she is strangely a little more adult in some ways than she is. Yeah. Because her mom has had so little in life that she's finally getting to enjoy some of the nicer things. And she actually becomes an emotional support for her adoptive daughter. That stuff is all great. There's a, the, what's his name? The guy who plays like the cocky chess player with who wears a cowboy hat. Oh, the knife guy? Your knife? Yeah. The friend who likes knives? <laughs> Thomas Brody Sangster is the actor. It's Benny Watts, I think. What an awesome character. <laughs> He's great. And part of what makes him great is that he just, I had to double check his age because last thing I saw him in was the Maze Runner, which a lot of people won't remember because nobody remembers the Maze Runner. But I remember seeing that. I'm like, what a small child. This is my first thought in the Maze Runner. And in this, he doesn't look like he's aged at all. He just looks like a kid trying to dress up to sneak into an R-rated movie the whole time. He he found the Fountain of Youth. Maybe Jason Bateman showed him where it was. Because <laughs> like they just never age. <laughs> so, yes, siphoning off like, yeah, life force from Paul Rudd or something. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. But yeah. He yeah, he looks like a small child trying to who found his dad's clothes till like till like Halloween day at school or something. I like Clint Eastwood and Blade Runner. He <laughs> <laughs> just wears that the whole time. <laughs> but he's apparently in his thirties, so I am wrong. It's like Andy Milianakis, dude. <laughs> just like perpetually a child. <laughs> Doesn't Andy Milianakis have an actual like condition though? I don't know. I but I do know that um what is it in China now if you're playing video games but you you're a minor, it shuts it off after eleven. So it's like Andy Milianakis, <laughs> if he lived in China, could never play a video game after eleven PM. <laughs> and neither could Thomas Brody Sangster. I'm so sorry. Sorry, my young friend. This is the future liberals want, Melvin. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like uh, her, her, her relationship with the men in her life is just this ongoing, interesting thing where um, all these different men gl- come to care for her in like very unique ways, yes. but none of them can full are fully able to um, meet her emotional needs in the way that she needs them met. And so, and the fact she doesn't really quite know how to like interact with people. I don't know if she's if she has some sort of like neurodivergent thing going on or something, but like all of these men try very, very hard to be there for her. And it's not like a manipulative thing. They all genuinely care about her. Dursley learns that he just isn't the right person for her and of his own volition exits her life. She has like a disagreement with Maze Runner and like and so she just is just unable to connect with all these people that really want to connect with her and the way Anya plays it. It doesn't like some shows like there's this, there's these moments where people have these dramatic breaking of hearts and it feels forced or or like just they needed to have some sort of like, you know, conflict in the show. But here, every single one feels completely like natural and you feel bad for her every time because each time this yeah. sort of happens, it slowly leads her down this path where around episode like six or seven, she's just totally spiraled out. She's like a has been celebrity. She's doing her makeup's all messed up and weird and she's like doing substances and all this like horrible stuff and it just all feels real. And yeah, the beautiful thing about the show is by the end of the show when all these characters come back because they're calling her to give her advice for chess, it's this beautiful moment of community because, because the queen's gambit's a JRPG because all the friends <laughs> get together. She's, she's forming a party. <laughs> yeah. They all come together and use the power of friendship to kill God. That is, this is a JRPG. <laughs> it's, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's every final fantasy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, which is I think for the for the Christians in the audience, that's kind of one of the things I took away. It was this beautiful picture of like community, where like even though none of them are perfectly are her friend, even though a lot of them have the only thing they have in common is they play chess, <laughs> like because they care and love her, right. they all come together to support her in the way that she needs to be supported, even if she hasn't taken really like she's even if she's taken them for granted for a lot of the time or without realizing it used them and sort of discarded them or you know wasn't emotionally available to the people that were her closest friends they all come together in the end to to care for her because she does she is she is the she's like a i don't know what to call it it's not an antagonist but like she is not a nice person Almost the entire show. No, she's very cold. From the beginning, even the way she treats Mr. Scheibel, like even the word, the word that she calls him <laughs> in, in that episode starts with a C. Uh, it's it's just like she's always very nasty and mean, but at other times this like person who recognizes that she does need relationships. So almost a good phrase is like, she's a leech almost all the time. And I think that's why a lot of people connect with her is because some people can have that tendency of like, I'm perpetually hurting. So I need others. And sometimes I overstep their boundaries to take advantage of them. But then I also like, do you need them in other ways? And so it creates when you have that relational drift, which is very natural. I mean, I don't know many people that I've exploded on like a Hollywood drama and then left exited their lives. I can think of maybe two, but like most of your friendships are drifted. You kind of just over time, either just passively in a positive sense, because you might've moved disconnected or yeah, very much like, uh, what do you call them? Maze runner, not maze. Well, maze runner, you could say too, but, but Dudley. If he has other roles, I am unaware. <laughs> yeah. um, um, but like with Dudley, even, um, <laughs> it's just his character forever now. <laughs> Sorry. This is how I remember actors. I love it. <laughs> them and young adult fantasy stories. Was oh, that the Loki episode? You did that too, where you called someone by their actor name or their other character. And I just lost it. Oh, it was, um, Julia Louise Dreyfus. She's it's always Elaine. Very young adult fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, but like even the way they drift apart is so natural. I mean, he locks himself in a room, plays music, so no one knows that he's packing up his bags, and then the next day he's leaving. Like that's just so normal, so real. And I think that's what makes the show really powerful is all the characters are so genuine. Even Borgov, who has like six lines. I'm like, I actually, that was something I really wanted was in this show to have Beth Harmon and Borgov have some sort of conversation. And I guess you could argue that the chessboard was their conversation. Right, yeah. But like to have them somehow talk, because I, I Borgov's, every single line he has is about basically like, is about transition and change. Like he's getting old. He's played chess since he was like eight years old. He's got a family, probably doesn't want to do it anymore, but the USR is going to make him, what is it, suicide by by bullet to the back of the head. And it's like, <laughs> that's going to be freaking Borgov's history. And so it's like, he's got to keep playing chess. And like, I almost just wanted them to have this conversation where it's like, they. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it other than George Washington's song in Hamilton, where it's like the the joy of tra- like change, of saying goodbye. And because Beth Harmon almost like kind of needed that. Where like every episode has a scene where it's like someone posing to her, like, what are you going to do after chess? 
Like, was it the third yeah. episode where she's talking with the younger kid? Oh, that's a great scene. Such a good scene. Because yeah. she's asking him, like, what are you going to do after you become world champion? He's like, what do you mean? And, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, it's obvious that she's actually asking herself, <laughs> like, what are you going to do? And it's just great. I don't know. And to sort of call back to that in the last episode when she plays basically her idol and Beth Harmon says to the young kid in episode three, like, you're the best chess player I've ever played. That was the best game I've ever played. And then in the last episode, her idol's like, I think I've played against the single best play- chess player in my lifetime. Right. I don't know. It's like, and for him, he just likes the game. He's sitting there smiling the whole time. <laughs> like, it's just a totally different version of Beth Harmon. Uh, which is something my wife and I were talking about too, is like each character is like just different results of who she could be because they're all kind of coping with something and dealing with something. And it's like, I mean, I can't believe it took us 44 minutes to get to this, but the chessboard is a metaphor for life. (laughs) And like every character. Yeah. What a surprise. Our, our classic line, it's not subtext, it's text. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's our classic line. But. <laughs> well, I'm coining it, unless someone else did. Put that on Wikipedia. Yeah, uh, new shirt coming to our um, merch store. <laughs> Do we have a merch store? We I've been thinking of getting one, uh, setting one up, because there's a couple things that I think that we've said that are just sort of like good lines. It <laughs> would just be a good t-shirt. Good t-shirt uh, line. So we're going to call it the Babylon Bee for being smug and conceited. <laughs> and we're just going to like, right. let's put all of our zingers on shirts. The front of the shirt is I like the Babylon Bee. And then the back print is like someone who taped a, taped a piece of paper that says kick me. <laughs> Something like that, that. is so specific. <laughs> I, I, I can't think of a single human being alive that would buy that shirt. No, it's a gift you buy for people who like the Babylon Bee. <laughs> you just never tell them there's a print in the back. Interesting scheme. <laughs> <laughs> they got him. <laughs> Anyways, it's a metaphor for life. Daniel, elaborate on that. Yeah, what? <laughs> I mean, it's a metaphor for her life. Sure, but I mean, it's because it is a story. It's a me- the whole story is like the reason we're connecting with these characters is because I don't play chess, but like I connect with the need to con- to find something you can control, to find right, something right. you can use to influence yourself or to drown out emotions to find something you can do to alleviate these things right well yeah that's kind of the way i looked at it was like we see a lot of these characters through the way they play the game and so for me it was kind of like her it's just like there is this like mathematical rigidness to it but it's also very impulsive because of the way she she plays emotionally is the thing that said a lot she's impulsive and attacks first they mention a lot and it's when she kind of learns to like hit this like balance that she's finally able to like beat everyone basically. But then you have like the Dursley character who he plays a very like old fashioned traditional style of chess that he can't keep up with her. And then you have like the young hotshot character who's able to keep up with her and even best her for a lot often. And then she's finally able to beat him. But yeah, it's like her life is so out of control in so many other areas, whether it's her substance abuse, whether it's her own past or even like her inability to really relate to people outside of the game of chess. Yes. Yeah. So there's something beautiful. Again, there's something beautiful about the fact that she was able to really finally connect with all these people through chess, as well as her childhood friend who is like the only friend she has she doesn't play chess with. Mm -hmm. And so, like, yeah, there's something really beautiful about that. And also like, so at the end, by the end, when she's just playing with the, that old man on the street, you get this sense that she's finally like 
she finally like loves the game of chess as you would love a game of chess, but also you get the sense that she's finally kind of at peace with herself through that, where she's mm-hmm. no longer playing to prove anything to anybody. She's no longer trying to prove her own self-worth and there's no more hills to climb. She's just has rekindled her love of the game. And in that you get a sense of her own love of self and uh, sort of being at peace with her place in the world. Um, th- that's at least my interpretation of it. I'm sure someone else has some other take on it but that's that's kind of how i felt the whole time like all all these chess games all these different people who play differently from her all these like meshing of styles and and, uh different strategies these are all her like kind of attempts to understand these other people inadvertently perhaps but and so by the time when she finally masters the game she's finally gotten a hold of herself which i mean that's just also how you structure a story like of course obviously as she gets better at the game and she progressed throughout the episodes their issues in her whole life start to resolve even if some of them have tragic resolutions but i mean that's at least how i felt about it yeah well that's sort of what makes it such a good show is that there's so much so many things to draw on and to have that like that's what you connected with is this like basically pursuit of just like peace in living and finding joy in things because you almost could argue like she doesn't like playing chess. She just likes winning. <laughs> she just likes having control. What's the, her one thing? What else has she got? Right. Yeah. She, she's just a mess, you know, and it's, she's very sad. Like you've, Oh my it, gosh. You yeah. Feel so bad for this character for most of the show, which is really, again, like really masterfully pulled off because she's, this is a character who, this is the prodigy character. They're the character who's like, yeah, has this one particular gift that people that it's sought after and people talk about. Um, but smartly, A, throughout the show, they give her just enough vulnerability as a chess player, where there's always at least one or two other characters in the show that you get a sense could beat her. Um, so they, there's never this like lack of drama where, like, to use a Rocky example, for most of the Rocky movies, you just never feel like the guy's ever going to lose. You're just like, oh, yeah, this guy's like a human tank. He's just going to destroy all <laughs> the characters. Yeah. With her, you never feel that. You feel that she's very, very good, but there's always at least one or two characters on the horizon that she has to, like, get a little bit better at to beat, which I think is just really good, really well done within the show. I mean, having her basically show up to every tournament and be like, what what are the rules? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, that's great. She just knows chess. Clock. Why do I need a clock? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? What's this paper for? Why do I have this pen? Like, I'm just here to play chess. It's very much um, fine dining and breathing. And it's great because then she expands on that to, so that if someone asks her her name, she doesn't break down. But yeah, SpongeBob reference for all you people who don't know where that was coming from. I really hope people knew where that was coming from. Because SpongeBob is a really funny show. Can we talk about that, Daniel, at some point? Just seasons one through three, or just like like right now? I uh, do you want to? Like we could just <laughs> no, cut into that. I do not want to talk about the first three seasons of SpongeBob and the, the Lover Queen's Gambit episode. <laughs> as much as that show was very formative to me, and um, I think it's very formative for a lot of. I people. didn't have cable, so I had to buy it on VHS tapes, at, like five or ten episodes at a time. It's so funny. I think if you were to go back and view like our generation's humor and where it's developed almost all of it is like because of spongebob because that has some really good alternative humor yeah spongebob family guy south park i don't know about family guy but i would say spongebob i think that and yeah, yeah i guess you could say some south park but because i don't know i guess i knew a lot of people watched family guy growing up i never really found it funny but Peter Griffin is inherently funny, though. <laughs> there's there's something intrinsic about Peter Griffin as a character. I don't know if it's like a generation thing, but I remember like specifically tons of like Stewie Griffin and, and Quagmire merchandise just all over my high school. 
What are we talking about? What did our patron supporters pick Chris to talk about again? I don't remember. I think a sweet tooth or something. That's right. Yeah, I didn't watch it. Dang it. <laughs> I will also say, like, to to go back to Anya Taylor Joy's performance, I also like I'm a sucker for any actor that, that does a lot with no dialogue, which is just something I enjoy. Call it the Ryan Gosling and Drive syndrome. Yes. And later only God forgives, where he somehow says even less lines. Yeah. Um, as a fun thing for myself, I like downloaded some scenes from Only God Forgives and s- decided to see if I could edit the sh- movie better than it was. <laughs> it's shockingly easy. You could literally just cut like five to ten seconds out of any scene and the movie doesn't change at all. So, hey, you want to fight? That's my hot take on Nicholas <laughs> Winding Refn, who made, makes movies I just can't stop watching, even if I don't even necessarily like all of them. But, um, but Annie Taylor Joy, like, she does this great stuff where like anytime she's playing chess, like you just can look at her face and like you can see the processing of everything she's doing. And like, cause for the rest of the show, she seems almost muted. Like the way she interacts with other characters, she seems standoffish. She doesn't seem to enjoy. She's an observer. Converse. She's more an observer. She's yeah. a, she's a, she's a perks of being a wallflower, you know? Um, and then, but then like you see the sense of like, she comes alive when she plays chess and that's like one of those things that like, I don't know, it just sticks out to me. Even now, it's like, I haven't watched a show in a, in, a, in a minute, but like I'm sitting here, I'm just remembering all my favorite moments in the show. And so much of them revolve around just her like leaning forward and kind of putting her head, hands behind her head after her opponent makes a really good play or something. Yeah, nervous tics, rubbing her neck, her hair yeah. getting messier. So you know that she's been like, like scratching her head and like, yeah, trying to work through things. And it's, it's really good. It's good stuff. I don't like you know, I, I highly recommend the show for anyone to watch it. It's, I know it's like one of the most watched shows in Netflix history or something like that. So like we're a little, a little late to the party, but it deserves all of those Emmy and Golden Globe nominations it got. Even if, you know, as we've stayed, we're not huge fans of the Golden Globes on the show. Nobody is. Not anymore. There, There's a joke in season five of Arrested Development where uh, they're going to make it. We got it in, folks. You're yes. wondering when we get, get it in, but what we was found it coming? under the wire. There's a joke that I missed um, the first time. And there's a joke about how the Imagine Entertainment's going to make a movie or something and how they have to finish it because uh, Kitty says, because Ron Howard already paid off the Hollywood Foreign Press Association for good reviews. And then Ron Howard, who narrates the show, is like, no, I didn't do that. I really like the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. <laughs> and so, which is, of course, the golden globes and it's all fake it's a scam uh good thing they're off the air right i think that's still the case right what's what's the name say because the golden globes is too racist or something they're not going to be on the air did you see that i have no idea that was huge news like two three weeks i saw yeah i saw i saw something about that i don't know the thing is so many of those that's this stuff happens performatively so often that i don't know if any of it ever sticks so well i hope it does because they suck but anyways yeah great show queen's gambit good show it's wow. yeah, it's a it's a be- it's a beautiful show about <laughs> an alien in the sense that somebody who doesn't fit in with anyone else around them finding community through chess. This is the shortest version I can sum up about it, but it really is. It's it's a I love any story about like an outcast finding where they fit in, and Queen's Gambit does that, but it does it without any of the cliches that you'd expect from this sort of story. It's not. It you feel good at the end, but there's like the the journey there feels so genuine and not at all manufactured. It's raw and it's gentle. It's like it's it's a good ride. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting. You keep using the word gentle because it is gentle. There's like a sweet undercurrent to the show where the show 
has I like it's tough when you're when you put on like have a odd character like a, a lead character that has something that makes him unique or weird where you can either go too far in the direction where you like like this is how I feel about the show the good doctor for example where it's like the autism is a superpower show where I feel like they, they <sighs> go annoying. so hard into that one where it becomes insulting or the other way where they they like treat their lead character like a freak to be mocked in some way like queen's gambit does a great job of like they just present the character as is and so as she changes and grows it feels earned and it feels genuine and so like it's just such a great contained journey it doesn't overstay its welcome none of the episodes feel like filler um i cannot recommend it highly enough i really enjoyed it quite a bit and yeah i give it five stars Good job, Dan. Nice. <laughs> New thumbs up. Six stars. Six and a half stars. What? <laughs> Breaking the no one's ever gotten six stars. That's awesome. All right, seven stars. What? <laughs> Not one more. Oh my gosh! One for each episode. That's eight sick. stars. There's eight episodes. <laughs> it's gonna be. Wait, let me get a think of water real quick in my mouth. <laughs> Nine stars. <It's>, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> moral of the story be nice to women because like what a bizarre note to end on <laughs> hey guys if you see a girl playing really hard chess and you just have a drug problem <laughs> be nice to her why, why do you mean be nice to women why is that our moral of the story oh uh, i don't know i just i i kind of wanted to talk a bit more about the feminism in the show because i, I it is, is it so feminine i think it's pretty no i don't I, okay Here's the thing, just like with critical race theory, if you're talking about, if you're Christians or have Christian demographic and you mentioned feminism, they think you're talking about a lot of stuff. Burning bras and and killing husbands. Which I mean, God forbid a woman doesn't wear a bra. I mean, what, bras are kind of like a kind of a new thing in the last hundred years? I did not think you would jump on that. (laughs) My wife mentions this all the time. She's like, God, I can't, I can't imagine what dudes did. 100 200 years ago like i mean everyone was dying at 30 years old so they have have time to think about that (laughs) you get dysentery dying you have diarrhea at 27 so yeah (laughs) but like back before it ruined our immune systems with vaccines you know i know our bodies work the way they're supposed to bill gates ruins everything not a nice guy either but what a surprise melvin edit that vaccine joke out i don't want to get those types of comments (laughs) on twitter No, it's a good joke. It I'm just saying, it's been really quick. They didn't have enough time to test it, you know, whatever. Uh, what are? What do you mean mRNA? What's that? <laughs> Science develops? I don't get it. Let me get that new iPhone. How it's so weird how things are so so fast now. It's it's funny because like oh, it's man. like half the people are just like I don't understand how it's PC culture stuff. You should be able to joke about whatever you want, and I make a you make one comment about like vaccines or something and people assume that you voted for joe biden or, or whatever like i don't know and it's not just you voted for joe biden it's you specifically voted for joe biden because you're a fan of planned parenthood it's like <laughs> no because you hate jesus but i don't like string theory i love jesus and string theory is not real okay buddy there's an arrested development joke somewhere in here but i'm not gonna find it the reason i brought up the thing though is because i i do think this is i and i've even I don't know what I'm going to title this episode. You'll probably have already found out listener because that's how time works. But like I watching this, I was like, this is really good feminist cinema where it's like, it's not just about Beth Harmon as a woman, but it's also simultaneously not really about Beth Harmon as a woman. It's just really about Beth Harmon as a human being. 
And I mean, because there's re- the first three episodes are laden with her just being like, why does everyone care that like I'm good at chess just because I mean, I'll just say it the way me and my wife will say it. Like, why does everyone care about Beth Harmon being good at chess just because she has a vagina? This is ridiculous. Like, she is a, just a human being who's good at chess. And of course, this the film and series is set during a time where like, this film and series is set during a time where like, uh, feminism was just budding, like 1960s. And so it's like, I think like 60s to the 80s is really the feminist movements and stuff like that. But like, even like her articles is like, she's saying things that are actually much more pivotal about her life, such as like being an orphan. And even the the interviewer in the second, ep- right, second yeah, or third yeah, episode yeah. brings it up. And it's very rude that she brings it up. But that's much more important to her character than just being a woman. And that's sort of set, I would say somewhat set to the wayside after about episode three, but then the film or the series very much develops her as a woman who's also like has a sex life, which I'm not saying that's a good thing. Like sex outside of marriage. No bueno guys, not a good idea. (laughs) Sorry. Bible says no. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, apart from the fact that God is also giving us insight into how sin works and how it's not good for you. It's bold as day, not healthy and good for you. I mean, even the show makes that pretty clear that it's like the sex life that's being experienced here is like mostly out of just like coping and just using one another. Although it is very sweet that she cleaned the guy's house after the party. That's that's a good thing. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to have sex before marriage, at least clean someone's house. That's a nice thing. Um, no, that's a joke that I might take out. But <laughs> <laughs> If you're going to sin against God, you might as well <laughs> be right. polite. At least do some Hail Marys. I mean, come on. <laughs> ah, Catholic jokes. I I just, I don't know. I felt like it would be cool to talk about that because it's just, it's it's a, it's interesting to me. I I don't know. Did you have any thoughts about I that? I see what you're like, saying. Okay, good. I'm glad someone understands me. That's good. I mean, we're beyond spoilers. Who cares about spoilers? I mean, one of the big reveals is that like she's born... From, I mean, my my wife was kind of projecting that maybe the mom, her mom was a professor who had an affair with this other, like maybe a dean of students or someone in the school. And then now, because the man, I mean, this is, I, I've come to love the Scarlet Letter more and more, the more I think about it. And I can't wait for my next reread. But like the thing about sex is that as a sin, the man can hide it better than the woman, especially pre-contraception. And there, unfortunately, if you are, instead of being able to be embraced in love and care and compassion and understand that you can be forgiven for your sins and then also continue to do things that, you know, continue to do things that resolve uh, your life and help improve it out of faith, you're going to be having two results after sex outside of marriage. The man can just go off and do whatever he wants um, and probably continue to self-propagate this problem while the women... I don't like this phrase, but it's an appropriate phrase, is stuck with this problem. Now, human life is wonderful and great and is not really a problem. (laughs) It's a blessing to have children, even if it is outside of marriage. But it is still something where like for the woman, her career, if that was her pursuit, is shut down. For the man, you can just keep pursuing your career and having midnight uh, affairs with people all the time. And so... I, there's a lot with that this movie i mean where that's kind of brought up with the show where that's brought up not just in terms of sex positivity but then also culturally how i don't know i this if i made a letterbox list this would be included in feminist cinema is really all i'm saying um and i just 
I don't know. It's good. I think it's good. <laughs> I just I think right. that it's a good portrayal of that. Yeah, I guess it depends how you define. I think it is feminist in the sense that it is portraying a woman going against some expectations that are being placed upon her. Yeah, total systematic issues. Yeah, yeah the the interview is a good example of this where. You know, they're like, isn't it wild that you're a girl? <laughs> Basically, yeah. some of the questions that she's being asked, and she's just kind of like taken aback by it a little bit. She's like, don't you want to ask me about chess? <laughs> like, like yeah, Especially because like, that's all she cares about is chess. Yeah, so, that's what she likes. That's what she loves. Yeah. Yeah, she loves chess. So she wants to talk about it. And um, yeah, in that sense, there's, there's some moments like that. I think for me, the reason it's not the first thing that comes to mind is the overwhelming majority of the show is focused more on just her as a person and her interactions with other people and her gender so rarely comes into that conversation. Occasionally you'll see that, or there's, there might be some like underneath the surface, there might be something where like the, sh- the show frames her face in this big giant Russian dude. Like <laughs> there's something there where it's like the dynamic of like this tiny woman going to get back against this big dude um, in a competition. Like you don't have to spell it out. There's, the audience automatically will perceive her as kind of like at a disadvantage, I think, in a sense. The underdog, yeah. Yeah, she's automatically the underdog in that situation, both because she's like not in her country and that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, I think that's why like my first thought watching it wasn't, outside of that one particular scene with the interview where I, what, that I, like, I never saw it as like a feminist thing. But yeah, if we're going with a more broad definition of just like you're watching a woman persevere against limitations that are being placed upon her, that also may come out of her gender, especially with coming out of an orphanage. And they did this more. I actually just did this more in Nola Holmes, where it's like the orphanage is like training her to be a wife, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Wild stuff. Um, yeah. Where like she's coming out, like, where she comes out and strikes out on her own. And then the stuff with like, she kind of helps her mom um, with her stepfather, who's just the worst <laughs> the character in the show. Yeah, just a, just um, a pathetic man. Absolutely disgusting. I mean, even like, isn't uh, my wife and I forgot to look this up, although maybe Catherine actually did, but isn't hepatitis, can it also be a, an STD? Yes. And so, yeah, it's like this man who leaves his wife is probably hooking up with other women too. That's Yeah, that is the implication. I yeah. love that line that Alma has where when she meets her um, Spanish uh, pen pal and she's like, I don't know where he went, but it's probably a lot like Denver. Just a great, great, depressingly sad mm. line. And uh, what a good character she is. That was devastating. I just got, we got it. That was devastating when she died. Um, just yeah, so yeah, painful. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I felt like that was super feminist, even talking about like that. I mean, the constant allusions to whenever she, whenever Anya Taylor-Joy is going to the market, there's just other women who like, like even the friend she runs into who was very much growing up like, the, <laughs> this is what girls are supposed to be. You watch your, yeah, you watch your uh, music videos and you have a good time and she's got a baby and then underneath is just a bag full of liquor. Yeah. And like, because and it's wine o'clock, ladies. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> I hate that stuff. <laughs> Just for the for the record, I hate it so much. I think one of the best mom wine scenes I ever saw was. Do you ever see the? Um, Canadian French movie uh, Mommy. No, no it's I didn't. just fantastic. It's a great movie, but there's a scene where basically these two moms are sitting together complaining, not complaining, but like complaining is not wrong. I, I think that word has a very negative connotation, but I think, and, and rightfully so, because children complain a lot, but like they're complaining about things that are really upsetting, that they're very valid, but then they're drinking wine together. And it's just a really sweet kind of natural scene together. It's just, it's a great scene. It's a, it's a great movie. Um, well, we'll talk yeah, about, but I'm, I'm more just think it's really so strange that we've like romanticized in a comical way, like 
basically alcoholism to cope with the horrible dredge of being a mom. Like, you know, it's just like that kind of stuff where it's like you're putting down moms, you're lifting up using alcohol as a coping mechanism. And you're also like, it's just like every aspect of the dynamic is just horrible. Like, you know, I don't know. I just hate it. I hate it so much. I hate, I hate the thing of like marriage is a prison and, and, you know, having children is a, is a, is a trap, that sort of stuff. It's like boomer humor for our generation. It's the worst. Yeah. I mean, right now, even like NPR, like last week has an article or maybe two weeks ago. And it was like, statistically now women are drinking as much as men, but it's not because of social drinking. It's because of solo and coping drinking. Sad. A serious negative. Uh, 100% yeah. negative. I mean, solo drinking in general typically is, I'll even say from my own experience, is typically not good. I, I don't like solo drinking. And there are even temptations to do it because yeah, let's be real. Let's be honest with each other. It is a momentary effective coping mechanism for changing your mood. Yeah. And that's the trap. And I'm not saying like if you enjoy wine, it's bad. That's no, not, not at, all at all. I'm saying. Wine's great. <laughs> I love wine. It's a good yeah, thing. <laughs> I, I, I drink that. I drink, you know, like an I don't, <laughs> sentence. I, yeah, don't, it's, I don't get drunk. I don't get buzzed. You know, I'll have a drink with dinner, that sort of thing, you know, but it's just like, it's more like the, yeah, the glorification of like unhealthy lifestyles. It's mm-hmm. just not, it's just weird. Like to me, it's just so weird that like, everyone's like, Oh mom, you must be like, you know, hiding in a closet clutching a bottle of wine trying to avoid your kids or something and it's just like no you must be like commissioner gordon in the killing joke like you just have this <laughs> massive liquor cabinet right behind you yeah yeah it's and it's just like or maybe that she just you know mom and it's like you know the whole mom culture thing it's just i don't know i it's any cult i, I don't know i just don't like most I don't like dad culture either. I don't know. Maybe, I just, maybe I'm just a hateful person. Well, people know. who listen to the podcast know we don't like dad culture. Well, it's, yeah, it's the whole thing of like, old ball and chain. Yeah. Just like, no, like my wife's like the most fun person I know. Yeah, and I, I, I love don't like my spending wife. time with her. That's why we got married. It always bothers me whenever I hear that. It's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but like I'm marrying her because I like her. Like it's, it's the first two people I told I was getting married. Uh, you're locking it down. You're not yeah. going to be able to see anyone else. I wasn't seeing anyone else. <laughs> like, I, what are you talking about? Like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. I don't know if I've shared my my love story with the podcast all, but like she's the only person I ever dated. I think you did share that. I, care. I think you did a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. I might, yeah. I might have just mentioned it, but. But yeah, like the first two people I told outside of like my family, like I told one of my coworkers find out the first thing my coworker said was like, oh, like your life's over. <laughs> like what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And then about? the second person I was like, yeah, like the second person I told me some similar comment of like, oh man, why'd you do that? Or something. It's like, why are you people so miserable? Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. I told him when I told the barber that because I was getting my haircut for my wedding. He was like, no, why would you go and do a thing like that? Didn't anyone tell you not to do that? I love my wife. Like, <laughs> This is the third conversation we've ever had. I don't know why the, why you feel comfortable telling me I shouldn't get married to my wife. That's like, like getting your moral um, your moral standing from a podcast. Ba-boom. See, I got these zingers, man. <laughs> I should just stick to Arrested Development references. Jokes that aren't mine are funny. Yeah, I think it's a good show. I like I I for one really liked a lot of the feminist angle stuff. I did too, apparently. And it was there, <laughs> dude. I it was bold as No, I think it's there. I just I I think for me like I don't I don't associate any immediate s- instance of like a woman being empowered as immediately feminist. You know, I just think that's just a strong character. Well, I think what's know? unfortunate is most people will consider if you were to say this is I started this with with when I started introducing this. 
Most people, when you talk about feminism or any sort of titled sociopolitical issue, there's so much baggage. I mean, people are probably thinking that I'm pro-choice now because I said I like that this has feminist stuff. I'm, I'm sorry, but I am a, a conscious human being who can look at things and go, those are some positives and those are some negatives. And I'll take those positives and I'll put those negatives away. And you know, the only thing that I don't do that with is scripture because I'm just like, all right, I will humble myself to what the Lord says here. I'm not going to pick and choose what I like with scripture. Then it's not then it's not scripture anymore. Um, I, if scripture is supposed to be infallible, why can you can't pick and choose it? It's all right. But like, I I don't know. When I think of this as a feminist cinema, I don't think like oh she's a feminist icon superhero like Captain Marvel, which is just one of the, just the worst. Um, just <laughs> we got to cover that sometime because um, that'll be a great terrible discussion. Um, uh, one that I would love to have just because it'd be just so miserable. But like, I uh, I just think like. When I think of something as like good feminist cinema, I think like if if someone wanted to try and understand storytelling is a good tool for understanding experience and other people and drawing, stepping out of your own myopic experience. And I think when I think of like, if you want to understand why most feminists are a particular direction or slant or way, it's sourced from experiences that are very similar to Beth Harmon, such as man, that entire scene in the hotel room where you're just feeling uncomfortable, disadvantaged. And there's this man who's bigger and stronger who could take advantage of you and is clearly ploying you into like some sort of seduction. I mean, the fact that the chessboard is even laid on the bed and like there are parts where she's participating, but also very much like, I don't know if I want to be here. Like, it's just like, it's good. It's really good. And I think, I mean, that's why my wife is connecting with a fair amount of the stuff in this movie and many other movies that I would consider feminist cinema. But yeah, so that's why that's my perspective and, and reasoning for calling it that. I just think people should watch it. It's a good show. So what do you got to recommend for us, Dan? Uh, that's a good question. So first off, I'm just going to brag a little bit um, because I, my wife and I are pretty avid thrift store goers. And this other, the other day I came across a book um, for $3 and it was quite a find. It is volume in the preaching the word commentary series from Mr. Kent Hughes, uh, who I'm a big fan of Kent Hughes. He's a very pastoral commentator. He has great illustrations. Wouldn't necessarily call him and he's not not scholarly, but his bent is definitely as a pastor. And so I picked up his volume on Romans, which the old edition, it was subtitled Righteousness from Heaven. I don't know if it's the same as recent reprints. Crossway has been putting out a beautiful new edition of the set that I highly recommend. Uh, but Kent Hughes's commentary on Romans is relatively cheap. It's a great pastoral overview of Romans. I have many commentaries for Romans. I think one of the first ones I recommended was Douglas Moo's commentary on it, um, of which he wrote three different ones, essentially. And, uh, you know, I've read John MacArthur's commentary on Romans, which is excellent. I've read some of Barnhouse's. He wrote like a four or five volume commentary on Romans. Uh, but Kent Hughes is the one I, I read um, when I just want something like a pastoral reflection on the book of Romans, and it's even kind of like works as a devotional if you want to do so. So the preaching the word commentary series by Kent Hughes, specifically his commentary on Romans. Uh, I've been reading through it since I got it the other day and it's excellent. So that's my recommendation for that. My recommendation is going to be read or just engage media you don't like. 
Um, and I have a reason for that. Uh, I don't know. Actually, I'm going to ask you like this, this podcast. For oh. example. <laughs> <Zinga>. <laughs> dance jokes lands all the time. <laughs> but uh, I actually want to ask you this. Like, do you ever just like read stuff or watch things that you like almost kind of know inherently you won't like, but then, you know, you can still learn things from them or understand things from them? Um, yeah, I do that all the time. Specifically, I love. So I actually like reading re- negative reviews of things I like. Um, I read a lot of negative reviews for things that I enjoy. That's great. Yeah. Uh, Cause I just think it's interesting. Partially actually inspired by of all people, Boz Lerman when he, I think it was his edition of Moulin Rouge, but he included a collection of reviews of the movie, including negative ones, which I just thought was really interesting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, every year I, I just, I try and watch, I didn't do this year, but every, usually every year I just try and watch all the Oscar nominees, even if they're movies, I'm pretty sure I won't like just to be part, partially be part of the conversation. Also, because I think it's a good to just see have kind of an idea of like what is kind of in vogue as far as the Oscar season goes. Mm-hmm. But even just anything that's being talked about a lot, I like to watch it or read it or at least know something about it so I can engage with it. Because I think that gives you sort of a good idea of where the culture is at as a whole and to just be part of that conversation, especially as someone who's in ministry. I want to kind of I'm, like one thing I'm trying to like get back into following sports a little bit because so many people in my church followed various sports uh, teams. And as you can tell, by the way, I'm even talking about it. I'm not really into sports, but just like, I want to know what people are talking about. I want to know what's important to them and how to engage with them. And so I think being looking at media that I don't care for is kind of part of that sometimes, uh, especially if it's something that is relatively popular. Um, but also if it's, if I know it has value in it, like if it's something that's celebrated or it's interesting and because of the way it engages with a particular medium, I think there's something very healthy about it because I think there's a danger if, if you're not careful, you can end up kind of only like consuming the same kind of thing over and over again. And so I think there's something kind of really uh, valuable at that, or at the very least finding someone who talks about something that you don't like, like, um, uh, I mean, I have two things I was going to recommend after the commentary, but one of them was actually going to recommend looking up a video by H bomber guy talking about pathologic. I don't know if you've heard of pathologic, the video yeah, game. I've been wanting to play that game. Does he have a positive thoughts on it or negative? So he really liked it a lot. I've heard a lot of people say they like it. Yeah, but it's like a game that's inherently kind of not fun. Um, and so kind of part of the video is exploring the idea of like, should games always be fun? And because there's something to be gained from an experience that isn't inherently enjoyable, but it can give you a unique experience that is valuable in a different way. We forewarned his video fully spoils every possible thing about the game. Um, But it's a great like two and a half hour video talking about a video game that I'm never ever going to play under any circumstances. But it's interesting. His Sherlock video is great, by the way. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. And his Doctor Who one. But like the reason I, I asked that question is because I just finished reading a book called um, I Am a Church Member by Thomas S. Rayner. It's one of those oh, t- yeah, I know Tom yeah, very short, like 71, 79 page. Um, could have been 69, dude. That would have been great. Nice. But he decided to put 10 more pages in there. But um, don't know why. Don't know why. <laughs> no, no comment. <laughs> several several jokes that don't land. <laughs> Some Someone out there in the ether liked it. Uh, one, one person did. Thank you, one person. Uh, I will meet you someday. But I read it. I did not like the book at all. I really found it frustrating and annoying. I um, oh. <laughs> I found like I found a lot of what it was saying to be incomplete, um, as I find most Christian literature to be incomplete. Which I guess is sort of a no brainer when you're talking about the life, the universe, and everything else, um, that kind of thing. But like, I, I just I really did not like it, and I found a lot of it to be um, <sighs> short sighted. But the reason I read it is because is because I I like to 
read Christian literature that often just makes me mad anyway. I, I say this all the time in my Goodreads reviews that almost all Christian nonfiction literature, if you stripped away the author title, they could all have been written by the same person because um, there's really no voice except for like Piper. But that's because 80% of his books are just scripture anyway. I Yeah, I just didn't like it, but I found it insightful to understand a lot of what feeds basically pastors and elder boards that are just trying to get help for their problems and kind of like guide what their decision making is. Um, like I said, I didn't like the book. I didn't find it. Uh, I found that it was actually like probably too broad as well as also dangerously too specific. It would actually produce probably more guilt in people who are in situations where maybe church membership isn't healthy for them or um, the church that they're in isn't healthy for them, or perhaps they're already doing en- enough for them. But the main point isn't necessarily to go read this book. It's just more like if you're finding you're reading or engaging something that you don't like fundamentally, uh, maybe finish it. Maybe try and finish it. Not because you think it'll be better. Um, some stories I engage like are like that, but not all of them. But when you do that, uh, approach it similar to Dan, like you were saying, uh, observe it as a cultural touchstone, as a cultural piece to understanding other people. And you might find that it wasn't a total waste of your time. I, I just, I find that useful for me. Uh, I don't do it all the time because it's not fun to be in that negative headspace of, wow, this book sucks. And here's why. Um, because like the book might be good for someone else, but it just, I, I didn't like it at all. But every now and then I think it's a, a good practice. So yeah, my recommendation, engage media that you don't like asterisk selectively. Um, yeah. So two things. First off, I'll just off the bat before someone asked me, no, I don't agree with H bomber guys, politics, <laughs> but he makes some good videos, but it's just like with me saying the word feminism, <laughs> you, you have to feel like you have to say, you have to like clarify everything. Isn't that so annoying? Yeah, I know. But... H bomber guy is great, but yes, I also agree. <laughs> so I'm going to say if you have Disney plus, uh, there are two children's shows on there that I, as an adult really enjoy, uh, for different reasons. And these are shows that are both kind of trying to get more seasons and the best way to support the shows is to watch them on Disney Plus, even though they're currently airing on television. The first is a show that we briefly talked about in the past called The Owl House. Um, the show is relatively controversial for various reasons that you will see if you watch it. Um, but I love it. It's as somebody who's a big fantasy person, I always appreciate when shows have different spins on how magic works. And The Owl House presents a very unique uh, methodology for how. Uh, magic works in the universe and so the first five episodes of the second season have been uploaded it's really cute it's really adorable um if you are a parent you might not want to let your kids watch the show or if you do watch it with them for reasons that will be very apparent if you just google a show it's like the first thing that comes up about it so take a look at that and it's not the whole demonic thing um the other show i'm gonna recommend is amphibia which is one of the cutest like most for kids kids shows i've ever watched but it's really colorful and vibrant and animation fans love it it's about a girl who gets transported to a world where everyone is frogs oh that's awesome yeah so she's a human uh she's like a. is it always wednesday no (laughs) (laughs) finally i got one my dude sorry my dude um (laughs) but yeah so she's like this like 13 year old like uh, i think she's vietnamese girl who's just like in this world where it's frogs but it's interesting because it's like this episodic slice of life like children's comedy with some jokes that actually really land for adults but there's just like really interesting story underneath 
that's going on where she's trying to find her way back home and they slowly sort of revealing what happened is it kind of adventure time-esque where it's like this no i mean um nothing's nothing's quite like adventure time but um (laughs) uh no it's more like so there there's an a plot where they're that she got transported via some magical box and they're trying to figure out what the box is and she got transported with two of her friends and so she's trying to find them and so around the second season she actually does kind of come in contact with both of them and they're both in very different places and so there's this ongoing plot where they're trying to figure out how to like get her back home to the human world but so much of the show doesn't involve that at all so it's like really strange to explain so like five up three episodes will just be like wacky hijinks and then a random episode it'll be like some dark mysterious wizardy figure will show up and something actually really interesting will happen and i'll go back to weird slapstick for another three or four episodes it's really strange but it's colorful and it's like really creative and clever there's also an episode that's a sort of a crossover with uh just blanked on it it's like one of my favorite shows what's wrong with gravity falls gravity falls um where what's his name alex hirsch voices alternate universe versions of characters from gravity falls that just exist in this universe and it's really just a fun random cameo episode. So those are my two cartoon recommendations. I love cartoons because they're clever, interesting, and they're a nice counterbalance to all the weird stuff I'm watching. So, you know, plus my wife and I enjoy watching cartoons together while we eat dinner. So those are my recommendations. They're both good shows. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.